this, this morning, the message is not so much in this specific portion of Scripture than it is in Scripture himself. This morning, you won't really find the message so much in my words as you can find the message in the Word him, himself. John 1, verse 1 to 5, In the beginning was God and, God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things that were, ma- were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, this morning I believe that you've come here to meet with Jesus. And uh, I don't really want to stand uh, in your way. You could have done a lot of other things here this morning, but you've chosen to come. And even if you here this morning and uh, you're acting as if you don't want to be here, I know that there's, a, there's something in you, there's a hope in you, there's a desire in you that is longing to meet with a living God, that is longing to meet with Jesus. Because God created all human beings with that desire within us to worship a king, a God, to meet with him. So you're in the right, you're in the right place this morning and you know, life doesn't really make sense without meeting with, with, with Jesus. As the scripture says, there is no light, there is no hope, not in this life, nor in the whole of eternity, without, without Jesus. When I was preparing, I had a sense that um, some of us, or many of us, are actually playing a dangerous game. And we, the game is called the game of religion. The game of following a set of rules, trying to fulfill the, the law, trying to live a perfect life, trying to get everything right. And this life has never been about getting everything right or being the perfect person. How can you say that, Stephen? Well, why do you think Scripture is full with so many names of people that got it horribly wrong, that messed up, and yet God calls them his friends, he calls them people he loved, he calls a man like David who got it terribly wrong, a man after his his own heart. You see, because life has always, it's never been about the law and following the law. It's always been about relationship and relationship with Jesus. That's what this life is, is, um, is all about. So, I just want to warn, warn you in a, in a sense, please don't, <laughs> don't, don't play that game of religion, of dead religion, of trying to follow, follow the law. And, uh, you know, I, to be honest, I, I've gone off track many times um, in terms of my relationship with, with God and, and, and just follow my own, own ways and try to um, fill my mind with other stuff and other things, fill my life with other things and just to find out after some time that there really is no life in other things. There only, there's only frustration and irritation. The only life that, that I've come to a conclusion is the only, only life that is sustaining, the only true fulfillment that I can have, the only satisfaction, true satisfaction that I can have, the only sense of belonging and purpose that I can have is, is in Jesus. And uh, when, I, when I speak of going off track, I don't mean going back to old sinful natures and habitual sins, because Jesus has set me free, he's delivered me, I'm no longer the old person I was, but I'm talking about a hard condition, walking away from our first love, in our heart and filling our minds with a lot of stuff and things of the world. 
So uh, I hope there's some people that can relate to me. Otherwise, I'm just going to be preaching to myself this morning. But that's also okay. At least there's one, one person that's going to walk out change today. Now, let's just, let's just pray, pray to God. Father, we, we just bring our hearts before you this morning, Lord. And Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome you into this place this morning, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We just come and command this morning. We say that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, we say that no other spirit is welcome here this morning except the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. No other voice is welcome here except the voice of God. In Jesus' name. So, Father, I'm not interested that people hear my voice this morning, but I pray that they hear your voice as I speak. Come and meet and come and encounter your people this morning, Father. Let no person walk away unchanged. Brother, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as I said, we're going to, get, we're going to get, um, spend some time in the, in the story of Martha, Mary, and, and, and Lazarus. And there's so much that we can learn from these three individuals. Um, there's so much we can, we can take, take from them. And we just don't have time actually to, to go into all the, the detail. But there's only three portions of Scripture that speaks about the, these, um, these three individuals. And, that's, and all three times we've, we've, we find it in the gospel, Gospels. Uh, once in the Gospel of Luke, twice in the Gospel of, of John. And um, like I said, there's so much we can take from their character and how, um, how they lived. And also, with, also from the um, interaction that Jesus had with them and the situations that surrounded them. But this morning I want to specifically focus on, on Mary, one of the sisters, Mary. So just for some, some background, before we get into the Scripture, Martha, Mary, and, and uh, Lazarus, Martha was the eldest one. We know that because she was the one that took care of the house. She was like the housekeeper, and the oldest sibling would be the one that took care of the, the house. She's always, well, she's also most of the times mentioned first when, when Scripture refers to the three siblings, so she, we know that she was the, the eldest one. Martha was also the efficient one, the busy bee, the one that always served, always busy. Mary was the one, the thinker, the one that sat at Jesus' feet, the one that probably took ages to make a decision. Both of these ladies were, were, were full of faith. Both Martha and Mary were full of faith. Um, all, three of the, all three of the siblings were, were friends, dear friends of, of Jesus. He called them his friends. He loved them. Um, many people say that the, their house, uh, the house of Martha and Mary in, Be- in Bethany, their house was like Jesus' home away from home, although we know that Jesus didn't really have a house. But we know that he spent a lot of time actually in this house of, of Martha and Mary in, in Bethany. A very cool thing for me is that um, if you look at the sisters, Mary and Martha, they say that you can, it's, or they were representative of the, the greatest two commandments given to us by Jesus, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, your heart, your strength, your soul. That would be Mary loving God, and Martha would be the one to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So when we look at their, their lives, the two sisters combined, they, could, they were representative actually of the the greatest commandment that God, or that Jesus gave to us, being to love Jesus, to love God, and to love your, your neighbor, Mary and Martha. Another thing that's interesting is we, we don't see Scripture mentioning anything about their parents or their spouses. Um, so, uh, and uh, I've read up a bit, and the, the conclusion that is there, the one that's most probable is that they were actually orphans, and they inherited this house, and uh, 
scripture says they weren't married yet, so that means they, they would have, have to be very young. Because girls at that time got married between the age of 12 and 14. So they would have, have to be in like 10, 11, which would have made the death of Lazarus even, even much more um, sad. Because he was actually just a mere boy, 10, 9, 10, because he was the youngest one. Then lastly there that uh, Bethany um, was about three kilometers away from Jerusalem. They said that you have to actually travel through a valley. If you were in Jerusalem, you had to travel through a valley over um, Mount Olive and then you would get into Bethany. And um, many people that stayed in Bethany couldn't afford to live in Jerusalem. That was like the big city that they lived in, in, uh, in Bethany. So that's just a little bit of background just to get you a bit interested in the topic, interested in, in the Scripture. There's so much around Scripture that we can learn if we just put, a, put some time out and actually study it and, and get, get into it. But let's get into the Word. Let's get into Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. Verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into a house. This is now Jesus coming. And, she's, and, she's, and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at the at Jesus' feet, and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Martha, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken Away from her. Now, what, is, what we need to notice is that Martha was busy doing a good thing. Martha was busy serving. She was busy preparing food. And in the Jewish culture, it's very important to be a good host. To host people well, to receive people well, and to serve people well. So Martha was doing a good thing. She wasn't doing a bad thing. She was serving. She was taking care. While Mary was simply sitting around, Martha was serving. She was doing a good thing, but... So she comes to Jesus, she's irritated, and she comes and complains to Jesus, say, Jesus, my sister's doing nothing, tell her to come and help me. And Jesus looks at Martha serving, and he looks at Mary sitting, and he says, Martha, you're doing a good thing, but your sister Mary is doing a better thing, is, choosing, is, is doing the one thing that is ultimately needed in this life, and that is sitting at my feet having relationship with me. And how often in life do we get distracted with many things? We get distracted with our work, our sports, our hobbies. We get distracted of going to travel or even kids, even serving. And we forget, we neglect the one, one thing that is really needed. The one thing that can never be taken away from us. We fill our lives with so many stuff that actually has zero eternal value and we neglect the one thing that can never be taken away from you and me and that is time spent with Jesus. It can never be taken away from us. Time spent with Jesus, time spent in the Word can never be taken away from us, not in this life nor in the whole of eternity. Let's go to the second, second portion of Scripture in John. John eleven seventeen to 36. So when Jesus came, He found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, just for some background, this is now later in the story of Martha and Mary. 
And um, what happened here is that the little, little um, brother, um, Lazarus, actually got sick. He got ill. And Martha and Mary, they sent out messengers to, to Jesus to say, Jesus, the one that you love uh, is ill. The one that you love is sick. Please come. We know that you will be able to heal him. You will be able to help him. Please come. He needs you. Um, he, he needs your healing. He needs you to, to come, and, come and heal them. But Jesus actually says the interesting thing. that He, he receives the messages, but then he says to them, um, okay, I'm actually going to wait two days. Thank you for telling me the message, and I do love Lazarus, but I'm actually going to wait two days. I'm actually going to, in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm going to wait for Lazarus to die um, because I want to show you my glory. I want to reveal my glory to you, and you don't really understand what I'm doing, but it's because of the love that I have for you that I'm actually going to let your brother die. And I want to show you my glory so you can believe in me. But we don't have time to, to go into that. So, um, okay, but this is where we, we find Jesus coming to, into, the, into the town of Bethany um, after Lazarus is, has died. Yeah, this is where we, we start off. So, 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. We see that the, the women were comforting, uh, the, the Jews were comforting Martha and Mary because in the Jewish culture also, when a person dies, um, the whole of the Jewish community would actually spend seven days with that family, mourning with that family the death of, of the loved one. And what they would do is they would literally sit on low chairs and they would read scripture, they would recite prayers, and they would actually um, provide food for the, the person that, or the people that, that just loved the, lost a loved one. So that's the context. That's what's happening here. Martha and Mary are sitting in the house with a lot of other Jews um, sitting, with her, sitting with them. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Very interesting. Martha going, as soon as she hears Jesus coming, Martha is going, Mary also probably hears it, but she stays, she sits. We're going to get back to this. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Amazing statement of faith. Amazing faith that Martha has here that we need to see. She's approaching Jesus and says, Jesus, as she's running already towards him, she's already shouting, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But more than that, God, I've got faith. Um, more than that, I know that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, it will be done right now. So we need to see that Martha was a, a woman of faith, a real woman of faith. But let's just see what happens. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus is saying to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha rushed and busy as the busy bee that she is. She says, Martha says to him, I know that you will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, Jesus. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So what, what is happening here is Martha is so, so busy. She's a woman of faith, yes, but she's so busy. She's already got it worked out in her head. She's saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, you would have healed my brother and even now, if you say anything, God would answer your prayer and, and let my brother live. Then Jesus says, yes, Martha, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. Lazarus is going to 
going to live. But Martha misses that somehow because in her mind she's already thinking ahead. She's saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I know you, you're talking probably about the second coming. When you're coming again, um, you're going to raise the people from the dead. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 stop, Martha, you're rushing, you're busy. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Not one day. I am now. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Jesus was trying to, to tell her that, you know what, Martha, you're actually right. I'm going to show you, show you something about the second coming. I'm going to, through a very practical thing, I'm going to raise your brother now from the dead to show you what is going to happen when I come at the second coming. This is the way that Jesus actually is speaking to, to Martha here. He says, what you're going to see now today, this is actually representative of what, of what is coming. And then he goes one step further, and he says, I'm actually making a spiritual concept very practical for you, because I'm telling you that even people that is currently living and they believe in me, if they die, they don't really die, they live on with eternity with me. And that same principle, spiritual principle, I'm going to show you by raising your, your brother. But Martha, you're not really ready for what I want to do, so please go and call your sister Mary. And she says there, um, she says, the last thing that he says, do you believe, do you believe this, Martha? And she says to him, Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, that's another crazy statement for Martha because people didn't know this at the time that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the, the, the resurrection and the life. They didn't know this. And only twice in Scripture, something like this is said by a, by a human being. That Jesus, you are the Son. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the one that this world is waiting for. And Martha was one of them. The other account is, is Peter. When, when Jesus asked him, Peter, who do you say I am? And he said, Lord, you are the Messiah. You are the risen one. You are the Son of God. And Jesus said to Peter, he said that, Peter, flesh and blood that does not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So what I'm trying to say is that one of two people, Martha is one of two people that had that knowledge, had that insight, which means that she must have had a great relationship with the Father. The Father God had to give her that insight that Jesus is the Son of God. Yet, she's missing, even with that, even being a woman of faith, having a relationship with God, in her busyness, she's missing what God is wanting to do right now. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing that? Yes, no. Very quiet this morning. So he says, yes, Lord, I believe. And when she said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you, Mary. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Okay, so we saw Jesus is coming. Martha is running. As soon as Martha hears Jesus is coming, Martha is running. Mary probably also hears that Jesus is coming but she decides to wait because Jesus hasn't called her yet. She says, God has got a perfect timing and a plan for everything, and I'm going to wait. That's probably the thinking that was going on in, in, in Mary's mind. And she says, you know what? I'm actually going to continue to sit where I am. I'm going to continue to prepare my heart. I'm going to continue to meditate on Scripture, to, to recite prayers with, with the people that surround me because I want to be ready to receive from Jesus when I meet him. I want to I have a vessel, a container prepared when I meet with Jesus. I don't want to just run, rush into him and go empty-handed. I want to prepare something, prepare my heart 
So that when I meet with Jesus, he's able to actually impart, to give. I'm actually able to receive from him. So this is Mary's thinking. So she's sitting, preparing her heart, saying, Jesus, probably saying, Jesus, prepare my heart. I want to be open for what you are going to do right now. And the second thing we can, we can learn from Mary there is that, so when she hears that Jesus is calling her, she responds, and as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came. So implicit obedience. Firstly, sitting, not rushing, but she sits, prepares her heart, waiting for Jesus to call. And when Jesus called, immediately, implicitly, she obeys and she's running towards him. And let's see what, what happens now when, when Mary comes to, to Jesus. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting Sorry, now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same words as Martha. But what do we see difference. Mary's coming and she's falling down at Jesus' feet. She's continuing the worship that she was just doing. She was coming out of a place of worship and she's coming to Jesus and when she meets Jesus, immediately she falls to her feet because she knows this is the place where she feels most comfortable. This is the place of receiving. She knows that Jesus is Lord and she's a servant and her heart is ready. She's saying, Jesus, I'm here. I'm coming, to, I'm coming to worship you. And she says exactly the same words that Martha said But the reaction of Jesus is completely different. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Very different reaction. As soon as Jesus sees Mary coming, he says, Ah! This sister's got a capacity. She's got a container. Martha, I wanted to do something, but you actually blocked the miracle that I wanted to do. Please go and call your sister Mary. Mary comes. He falls at his feet and she says exactly the same words as as Martha. But Jesus says, yes, now, okay, I'm moved. Where where is Lazarus? Where is his body? Because I want to go do this miracle now. Because Mary has come. Mary has come with a container to come and receive from, from Jesus. And so yeah, Jesus goes on and, and, and raised Lazarus from the dead, but we're not going to go into that. I just want to point out that one verse, verse 35, Jesus wept. As a general point, when we, come, when we come to Scripture and look at Scripture and study Scripture, these, is, these are the kind of things we need to pay attention. Why would John the writer use a whole verse for two words? Why does he use a whole verse for two words? Jesus wept. That must like put on little flags when we're studying the scriptures and say, okay, Jesus, there's something here. What do you want to tell me? There's something I need to learn. There's some treasure here, but I need to dig a bit. Father, what, why are you saying these two words? And in this case, John probably included Jesus wept because he wanted to show to us that, yes, Jesus is God, but he was fully human when he was here. And he says that Jesus actually experienced the hurt and the pain at that point of time. He experienced the hurt and the pain of Mary and Martha. 
He was emotional about Lazarus' death. In other words, he's saying, whatever you go through in life, whatever you and me go through in life, Jesus knows it. He's experienced it. He's not a distant God. He's a close God and near God. He's gone through all the emotions that you've gone through. He knows your insides out. He's not far away God. Jesus wept. And this is significant because Jesus knew he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he should be rejoicing. Yet in that moment, he experienced the anguish, the pain, the hurt, just like any other human being. So John is saying, guys, this Jesus that we worship, he can relate to anything. All our hurts and our pains, all our joys and our pleasures, he can relate. We're going to go to the last portion of Scripture that we're going to get into this morning. And that's found in John 12, verse 1 to 3. Then six, days, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the, at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. First thing I want to point out there is Martha served. Now I believe that in this context, in this time, it's not a negative connotation about Martha serving, but it's actually positive. I believe that Martha has now learned through the other accounts, the other meeting with Jesus, she's learned that there's actually only one thing needed in this life, and that is to sit at the feet of Jesus, that is to have a relationship with Jesus. All other things are secondary even serving and doing good things at secondary. So she's learned to be content in her, in her serving because you know what we see in the first account? We saw her being irritated while she was serving, right? She saw Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and she was irritated with Mary. Now in this portion of scripture, <laughs> we see, she sees both of her siblings sitting at, the, at, at Jesus. Lazarus and Mary. Not only one this time, but two. Both of his, her siblings are sitting Yet she's serving, she's not coming to complain because she know, knows that they are actually doing the more important thing. And she herself was probably also sitting at Jesus' feet up until the time that people were hungry. And she said, okay, I'm going to go and make, make um, food. I know there's an anointing on my life also for serving. I've got an anointing on my life of serving. I've got a calling on my life to be a, um, a good host. So she goes and do this, but she does it this time with content after learning that there's something more important than serving. And she probably says this time, I'm not going to slaughter three cows, I'm just going to do like one chicken, just enough to kind of feed the crowd, because I, I want to get back to Jesus' feet, that's where I want to be. I don't want to get busy and distracted with a lot of things around, you know, like we get distracted with a lot of things around church and around the gospel and around things, and around life, and we spend hours and hours around that thing. But she says, come back to the basics. It's all about relationship, about me. And the other thing that I see there is that Lazarus is actually this time sitting also at the table, meaning that Lazarus has now become a disciple of Jesus because um, disciples were known of sitting on the ground or sitting at a table and their, their rabbi, their teacher would be standing or sitting um, on a chair when they sit at the ground. Previous accounts, we don't read about Lazarus sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now Lazarus is sitting at the table, meaning that Lazarus, since he was raised from the dead, since he had an encounter with the living God, he's now become a disciple 
of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And um, then thirdly, the, the beautiful part here is, then once again we see Mary at the place where she, where we always see her, at the place where she's most comfortable, and that's at the feet of Jesus. But this time, she actually shows us something important, and I've heard this statement, and it stuck with me. It says that if your faith doesn't cost you anything, it's probably worth nothing. If your faith doesn't cost you anything, it's probably worth nothing. And what we see in, in Mary is that her faith was worth everything. Because she takes this expensive oil and just pours it out onto Jesus' feet like on one shot. Scripture says that that oil was worth one year of wages. Imagine your whole year of working, the time and effort that you put in, the money, everything. You like go buy one set of perfume, you go to someone's feet and you're like, one year. Gone. But that was Mary because of the priority that she placed on her relationship with Jesus. She could do that. And then lastly, she wiped his feet with her hair, showing us that Jesus allowed her to actually be intimate with him. Remember this time in the Jewish culture, women and men, women would be sitting this side, men would be sitting this side if it was today. Women and men were mostly segregated, but Jesus allowed the women to actually sit and learn from him, sit at his feet. But not only that, he allows this time for Mary to actually pour oil and touch his feet, but not only that, he allows her to take her hair and to actually wipe the oil off his feet because Jesus is saying, this is not lustful, guys, this is love. I am love. And I know Mary loves me and I love her. I'm going to allow her to come close. And this is an invitation for you and me to come close to Jesus. Jesus is inviting us to say, I'm not a distant God. I'm a God that wants you close to me. Contrary to um, the society or culture or whatever, I want you to come close. I'm going to allow you to come close. If you, if you come to me, if you love me, I'm going to allow you to come very close to me. So I want an intimate relationship. It's an invitation for us to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So in con- conclusion, I'm going to call the band up just, just now, but ultimately, in this life, there is only one thing needed, and that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Firstly, to choose to have a relationship with Him, and secondly, to grow in knowing Him. Growing in knowing, isn't it beautiful? Rhyming, nice thing. First, relationship with Him, and then growing in knowing Him. And uh, you're probably asking, okay, like, how? How do we do this? How do we grow in knowing Jesus? And I, I wish I had like a formula for you. I wish I had like three steps to growing in knowing Jesus, or five steps to become the best friend of Jesus. But you know what? Relationship doesn't work like that. And it's never worked like that. And you know, if you've had a relationship with anybody, that relationship takes time, it takes effort. Relationship is intentional. You need to be intentional about relationship. A relationship is about two people. It's dynamic. It's not about following a set of rules. Stop following a set of instructions. I think us husbands should know that the most out of everybody. We do A and B and we get C. We do A and B we get Z. We do A and B we get F with our wives. We know that we can't follow a set of instructions and get the same result 
every time. Relationship is, is dynamic. It's about more than one person, meaning that it's not just about me, myself, I, and my little way that I follow. We have to engage with the other person, in this case, Jesus. So it's never really been about a set of, of rules, but it's always been about relationship and relationship with Jesus. So this morning, I have a question, and the question that I want to ask you is, what plans do you have in place? What things do you have set in your life in place to help you to grow in knowing Jesus? What things do you put in place in your daily living, in your daily lives, to know that, yes, tomorrow I'm, I've got those things in place, so it's going to help me to grow in relation with Jesus. Not a, a rule, not something I'm going to follow, but it's, it's a method, it's something that I've put in place, it's something, a plan that I have to grow. Because if, if life with Jesus is truly the only thing that really matters in this life and in eternity, then surely we would spend some time in, in planning around it and, and investing in, in that. And, um, but I'm not just going to leave you there. I'm going to point you in the right direction this morning. And uh, if you want to get to know Jesus, if you want to get to know God and Christ, then this is the place to start. This is the best possible starting point, the Scripture. Because this is Jesus. The Scriptures is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. So if you want to know Jesus, get to know the Scripture. John 1 was 1 to 2. In the beginning, God, God the Father. And the Word was with God. The Word, Scripture, was with God the Father. And the Word was God. The Word, Scripture, was Jesus this time. The Word was Jesus. He, Jesus, was with him in the beginning, was with God in the beginning, the, the Father. So Scripture is Jesus.